this week on a lively experiment. The first poll number since the primary in two marquee matchups. It shows one race is tight, the other not so much. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Dave Lehman, former television news anchor and corporate communications consultant, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, and Lisa Ranglin, president and CEO of the Rhode Island Black Business Association. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. A WPRI Roger Williams University poll released Thursday evening shows Governor McKee with a double-digit lead over his Republican challenger, Ashley Kalis, 45% to 32%, with a 15% still undecided margin. In the race for Rhode Island's 2nd Congressional District, Alan Fung has a 46-40% to 40 lead over Seth Magaziner, with 9% undecided, but with a 6.2 margin of error, it means this race is a virtual dead heat. Lou, let me begin with you. Did these numbers surprise you? Uh, not really. Uh, as you, we were talking pre-show, uh, the governor's done you know, a lot of things to like boost his coffers uh, and boost his uh, popularity, especially with the, and I know we're gonna get into the RICAS, but uh, you know, the money he was just giving away uh, was was in, in abundance. Three thousand here, three thousand there. If you're a union member, three thousand. Then, you know, he pleased everybody in Pawtucket by uh, giving uh, sixty million dollars there, and then forty million dollars to the Superman. There's a lot going on that he had the power of the purse to enhance his popularity. So I'm not surprised there. I am not surprised either about Alan Fung. Rhode Island traditionally, as we all know, generationally, always pulls the plug, pulls the lever for the Democrat. After the last two years in this nation, it'd be really difficult to pull the, the, the Democratic lever. But my concern is, is that most people still will, and that's why I, give, I, I question the numbers on, on the Fung you wait till uh, the magazine. Yeah. What do you think, Lisa? Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. I think, I think Seth is going to win eventually. Um, I do believe he's going to carry the women's vote, and I think there's no way we're going to send a Republican to Washington. I think we've got to make sure that we hold on to that seat from a Democratic perspective. And then on the governor's side, I think the governor um, expects to win as well. I don't think um, Ashley is, is ready for prime time. And I think the governor is going to be able to um, build a really um, good team. And I think he's going to do a lot of great things for Rhode Island. What do you make of those poll numbers, though, that, that Fung, this snapshot, and I understand it's a snapshot, at this snapshot in time that he's up by six points. Now, I know there's a margin of error. Were you surprised that he was leading at least by, you know, yeah. more than a couple of points? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're going to see that it's really, really close. It's going to be down to the wire, but I do believe, um, I'm surprised, but I think when you look at the margins, right, I think it's really a dead-on heat, right? And I think in the, in the, in the end, right, Seth is going to win, but I do believe, Alan, I mean, he... A good mayor in Cranston, right? People love him. I think he's going to do fairly well, but I think from a big picture, who do we want to send to D.C.? I definitely think Rhode Islander is going to show up and show up in a big way. For but you agree with Lou, don't always take the polls. Absolutely. You never know what's going to happen until you get there. You had a chance to talk to the pollster. I did. Uh, I talked to Joe Fleming last night for about a half an hour about some of this because uh, I, I saw some things there that I thought were interesting. For example, 24% of the Democrats support Alan Fung. 
Now, this is a blue state. That's very, very unusual. And, and he acknowledged that. That is very unusual. But also, we have to remember the uh, congressional district number two tends to be a little bit more of a moderate uh, district as, as compared to uh, CD1. So you have a little bit more, you have a little bit more, I guess, uh, some would say political tolerance for, for, uh, for the Republicans uh, in this state because it is a little bit more moderate. Uh, the the thing that uh, one of the things that surprised me was that uh, with with in looking at the numbers, I re really was kind of surprised that 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 he was ahead. I'm talking about Alan Fung now. I was surprised that he was ahead at at the level that he was. But I do think, and, and Joe mentioned this to me as well. He said, "You have to remember, though, this is a Democratic state." Right. And you can have a lot of these polls that will show interesting numbers that kind of surprise you. But Democrats tend to come home when they get into the polling booth. And they tend to, uh, they may have said, well, I'm supporting Alan Fung, but when it comes down to it, they'll start to think about what's at stake in Washington. Uh, and of course, one of the points we should make here is that, uh, that the, the, the Alan Fung race has really been watched nationally. There's a lot of money coming in nationally for this because they're trying to turn the House of Representatives in Washington into a Republican House. So, uh, you know, there's, there, this is not just a, a little race for us. This is a big uh, national race as well. Lisa, you're fairly, yeah. you're fairly confident that Magaziner's going to come, but what does he have to do? We're, we're a month out. What does he have to do to close the deal? Yeah, I think he really has to excite the base, right? I think you talk about being a blue state. Mm -hmm. And we know Democrats, again, we may say one thing, but we tend to show up mm -hmm. on Election Day. I think he really has to mobilize, mobilize. He has to mobilize women. I think women are really scared what would happen if we have a switch in D.C., right? A woman's right to choose. So we think we can't send a Republican to, to Washington. There's absolutely no way. So Seth Magonisa has to step up. And he really has to mobilize the minority community, the Hispanic, um, women, and blacks. And I think if he's able to do that, he will definitely have victory at the same in time, November. I'm sorry to interrupt. At the same time, Lou, that poll showed that of the, of the um, issues that are important to people, the economy was three times over in abortion education. Surprisingly, it was 14% abortion, 11% education. So while I understand that's, that's important for a, a section of people, when you're filling up at the gas pump and all of that, you wonder how that's going to translate into the voting booth. I think, it, I think it's going to have a huge factor. Who wants to see two more years like the last two years we've just had? And right now, there's no sign of anything changing. And as long as Biden continues on with his policies, the average voter is going to say, I don't know if I want to do this again. And that's why I think that I wouldn't be so sure that Magaziner is going back to, is going to make it to Washington. It'll be close either way. Um, you've had a chance to meet Ashley Kalis. A lot of it, she's been everywhere. <laughs> and, yeah. and she's been on social media and she's gone to a lot of the events. Um, you said the poll didn't, uh, didn't surprise you, but what were your impressions meeting with her? Because she's shown up to some events you've been at yep. and, and clearly with the Black Business Association. Absolutely. She's getting out there. Yeah, I think she's, she's trying, right? I think she's trying to be, um, she's new to the state, right? Came in probably about six months ago and I think really Rhode Island, we don't really know her much, right? And we're hearing a lot of different things from her, but she's showing up and she's staying. What I think people are not, I don't think she has built that trust yet with communities. I think the biggest thing for her is she's brand new to the state. 
maybe been here forever, but sort of new coming back. And I think we don't know enough about her and folks just don't trust her. Uh, I think there's a really important point here that you're making. Uh, she is new to the state. When you're new to the state, you know, a lot of people say, well, they don't, know, they don't know us here, you know, and all that. And that's, by the way, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you need that, for, you know, we talked about it the last time I was on, you need some, some fresh ideas, you need an outside perspective sometimes. The problem with, with, with Ashley is she has created more of her own controversies. Where does she live? They have two houses in Florida. They had a house in Highland Park, Illinois. They have a house in Newport. And there's a whole question about where, what is the primary residence. The last thing you want to do in marketing, in politics, in business, yeah. you don't want to raise questions about things you have controlled. It's a different thing to disagree about abortion or about how to heal the economy. It's another thing to throw a lot of controversy because now it starts to stink it up a little bit. Yeah. It starts to look suspicious. We don't know much about her. Absolutely. How do we know? So consequently, I think she has caused a lot of her own problems here in terms of her own credibility. And you can't do that when you're arriving on the scene and nobody knows who you are and they're a little bit suspicious because why would you just drop into the state and suddenly you want to run, you know, for the highest office? What about that, Lou? I, yeah, I mean, Dave makes a valid point. And the fact is she's, she's got a lot of energy, though, as you just pointed out, and so did you. And I admire someone with energy. And I think she's running a great ad campaign. I mean, she's laying it out there about the ILO contracts and about the $3,000 giveaways. <clears throat> but the fact is, is you don't want a carpetbagger. And that's, that kind of takes me back to when Hillary Clinton moved to New York, yeah. ran, right. ran yeah. for Congress and won. Well, but history <coughs> shows Republicans have had a path to the governorship, certainly Governor Dupree. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Blink Almond, Kachiri, that was 16 years of governors. But they were well-known quantities. They were, right. they were right. Rhode Islanders. Yeah. Well, we thought we knew it. Well, that's... Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Got to throw that out there. You never know until you get in. What do you, so what do you... You think the governor steady... The ship yeah. is steady? Or? I, yeah, I think for sure the governor is going to come out um, at the end as a winner. I mean, he's carrying um, the minority community, Hispanic. They're rallying around him. And I think we're looking at it, you know, who do we want to, he may not be the exact candidate that we would love to have had, right? But he's who we're, we're going to be stuck with for now for the next four years. And I think the unions are going and backing him. Could and be six years. Could, oh, it could be eight years. Eight years. Yeah, because he's got oh, that's two, right. Yeah, yes, whatever. Two, yeah. Let's take it four years at a time here. Lou. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but I do think in in the end, um, I think small business owners they like him because he's approachable. He's done a lot of great things for small businesses. Um, so I think in the end, he's going to come out on top for sure. The other, any final thoughts on that? Uh, no, uh, just a couple of things. Going back to the uh, to the fun race, uh, I think I, I noted a couple of things here that that he really does have going for him that I think cannot be underestimated. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know they know him well in the second congressional district. He was the mayor of Cranston, uh, had a pretty good run there. Had a little police problem there for a while. But you know, did a pretty good job. Ran for governor twice, so the name recognition is there. Tends to be likable. Um, his wife, and nobody has mentioned this, his wife has been a political asset for him. She won a big race there in yeah. District 15. Took out Mattiello. Mattiello. Yeah, yeah, took out yeah. Nick Mattiello, Speaker of the House. Unheard of. Unheard of. And so she's been a political force to be reckoned with there. So she's been a positive aspect for him. 
And I've not heard anybody mention that. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Joe Fleming said to me, he thought that the big challenge for, for uh, Fung is he's got to be very careful about embracing the Republican principles yeah. too strongly. Yeah. He really needs to oh, he's, be... He's straddling that fence, isn't he? <laughs> well, he, he, <laughs> right? he, he's, he's trying, and, uh, and the next month is going to be a rough one for him because they got the guns out for him. But he's got he's to be, be uh, appealing to the independents, which he seems to do well with, He's got a good relationship with some parts of the Democratic Party, and of course the Republicans like him. So he's, I think he's got a, a, a pretty good shot at this thing. Uh, I'm not sure that he's going to make it to the final round, uh, not to the final round, but make it, uh, you know. Over the goal line. Over the goal line, if you will. But uh, one other point I'll mention here before we leave uh, the conversation. Uh, a lot has been made about the economy being the number one issue and abortion being way down at 14%. Uh, Joe Fleming made a really good point. He said that the, the economy and, and inflation may be the biggest issue for most people. However, when you talk about abortion, that can easily be a differentiator and take on a much more powerful role. It could be the wedge issue. People may say, I'm worried about the economy, but I really I'm concerned about about abortion, and that the abortion thing, even at 14 percent, could be a big a big winner uh, or a loser, depending upon which side you're on. Right, if it comes down to the yeah. last couple yeah. of the, votes. The argument's yeah. always being made that, that if if it's a Republican Congress, that you're not going to have abortions anymore. That's not the premise. The premise is this is going to be restrictions, limits, whether it be 15 weeks or 20 weeks. Well, I think the I think the concern <coughs> is a national ban, yeah. and even I mean Lindsey yeah. Graham's talking about that. So look, nobody thought Roe was going to be overturned. Got that it. got chipped away, and now it's like, well, it, there'll never be a national ban. Well, now you see some of the far right people. Yeah. Introducing that. So honestly, if you got the Senate and the House, then where are you, right? Yeah. Isn't that the concern? Yeah, I think I think women are gonna come out for the Democrat this year. I think we are scared. Women are absolutely scared what could happen with somebody trying to police our bodies. And we want to ensure that our daughters, if something happened to them, that they have choices. And I think we don't want to feel like somebody's trying to control us. We should have choices, and I think women is gonna show up in a meaningful way and is going to bring victory for a lot of these Democrats right. in November. Lisa, let me stay with you. Uh, the standardized test, we call them the RICAST, the, the MCAS over in Massachusetts. It seems like every election cycle, the, the numbers are delayed. I think if these numbers were good, we, we would have seen them, them a month ago, right? But I also, the larger issue is, look, we understand there's a pandemic, but education has been such a, a tough issue in Rhode Island, and then that, it's a ripple effect attracting businessmen, and you know, where are you going to send your kids to yeah. school? Do you have the luxury? and the Providence takeover. What is your thought about kind of where we are now? First of all, RICAS being delayed. Do you think they should be yeah. getting these out before so the elections? It's, it's sad, right? The numbers should be out there, and I think they're tying into politics. And I think it's unfortunate, right, that they're looking at it from a political standpoint, right? We want to ensure that we're looking at the numbers to really help to impact our children. Over the last two and a half years, COVID has impacted them, right? And we know we need to understand what the test results are so we can really start looking at ways to improve the outcome for students. And with you know, delaying the numbers because of somebody's campaign or their election and where they want to be, it's really going to impact all of our community. 
and all of our children. And with and so think, much pe focus now on local school committees, right. you want to know how your own districts do it, right? If, if, if the numbers were good, it would have been. They would have released the numbers. And clearly. meanwhile, the you know, the board of education, the teachers unions, they all have uh, endorsed. Governor McKee, yeah. and they've all supported him financially, and he's obviously in turn giving them a lot of money back. But the reality is, is that yeah, it's politics, and and you know what? Generationally, we know the numbers are going to be bad. Mm -hmm. and we it, know that. Yeah, and it's really sad that we're put in politics first, right? Absolutely. And not our children, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. We should be thinking about let's release in the numbers, see what the numbers are. And then develop a plan to execute to improve it and really support in teachers and students and family. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's expecting miracles. We've had a pandemic, but Absolutely. put it out there and fix it. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, I look at it for, I'm going back to my years of journalism and what's, what's good for the public spirit and, and so forth. Uh, I think there's a lost opportunity here. If they would put these numbers out here, now you would have local candidates along with statewide candidates who have to answer for this. Yeah. It, it, it pulls people together and say, all right, we need, we need to really go forward on this. Now you, you can't ask your local uh, you know, school committeeman or a school board member or whatever what they would do because they don't know what they have to do. I mean, they know they've got to do something, but we don't know specifically. So there's a lost opportunity here to have your own elected, local elected candidates or local candidates for office to have to stand up and say, hey, these numbers are bad. This is what I'm going to propose. And I realize we're close to an election, but we need to stand up and get this done. We've wasted 25 years in Rhode Island. We've watched Massachusetts. They did things 25 and 30 years ago. It has taken this long for that fruition to occur. They ate our, they ate yeah. our lunch, and, and, and we just watched them do it. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, I think that there has to be this really intentional work around wraparound services all in. I think there's too many pointing fingers, right? Is it this, is it that? We need to focus on what the problems are. How do we ensure that we're supporting families and children and faculty and teachers? Because everyone needs to be all in, and you're absolutely right. Around, we can't <coughs> ask these candidates anything around the numbers, right? But some of them may have great ideas yeah. around fixing some of the challenges that we have. We know we have challenges, right? And we gotta work together to get these things done, but we can't if the numbers are held up until after November, in the Rhode election. Island, in Rhode Island, the cost of educating a child has always been on, like in the top percent in the country, and our results and, and what, what we're doing with them is always at the very bottom. So it's not just this year. It's, right. as Dave said, it's generational now. It's been 25, 30 years that these kids have been suffering at the hands of our school departments. So I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on in northern Rhode Island. When Socket lost its mayor and is about to get her back because she's unopposed, there's a big frittata going on up there, Dave. The city council, what strikes me here is, look, Lisa Baldelli Hunt has had her own issues over the years. You've had your issues with her. I have had a couple of run-ins. I did a story that resulted in an ethics complaint. Mm -hmm. Look, uh, she kind of treats government as friends and family up there, yeah. to be quite honest, right. and I get a lot of tips on that. I think... What's funny, though, is everybody's rallying here in defense because you have a city council mm -hmm. that can take out a duly elected mayor. Not a recall, mm -hmm. but a vote, and that's what's happened. On the basis of a complaint. Yeah. Well, of there what, were some what, things that she wasn't following through, and I, I mean, that didn't surprise me sure. at all. But should that result in her being taken out of office? I, 
Well, it's the only uh, city in the state that yeah. allows that. That's so I, 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 there, there is a certain amount a of Do you think there's going to be a charter guidance. review commission yeah. up in Woonsocket? <laughs> just amazing. I, I had, frankly, I had never heard of this, uh, this stipulation that they could do that. But uh, it, it's it, clearly, if you've got John Marion and Stephen Brown saying this is not a good idea, by and large, that's probably a, uh, not a very good idea. And this idea. is over a shade pavilion for a dog park. Yeah. I mean, if you well, have it's the contract with But meanwhile, police. should a city council have the right to be able to negotiate contracts yeah, that's a whole as different opposed thing. to the that's mayor? The, that's yeah. the administration, yeah. right? right. The, whole, the whole city of Woonsocket is shakwat. Well, you, you, you also have <laughs> the, the police contract. You know, they they, they had they, the council negotiated a police contract, and then she refused to implement it, and so the, the so there's none of that has taken place. I mean, that's just they have had this is a long, long uh, time of of, of uh, dissension between them, going back to 2013. The po the point is, they ought to get this fixed. This yeah. is an embarrassment for them and for the state, actually. Absolutely, I think it's 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 shameful, right? I think. They they are in chaos, and, mm. and we got to fix it. They have to fix it, right? But I think there has to be review in terms of what makes sense. Somebody is elected, um, and then you have a, a charter that says you can be voted out, right? And then again, she's not running unopposed. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so she'll again, be right she'll be right back. back. Yeah. But I think we need to hold our elected officials accountable, right? They need to be doing what is best for the people. And it sounds like, and again, I don't live in Winsaki, but it sounds like it's been a ship that needs to be. <laughs> pull back and in. And if you're a taxpayer yeah. in one socket, yeah. you know, you're trying to send your kids to school, you want government, look, they've always had financial challenges up there. The least you want to do is have a government that functions, and now you're like, it's we don't have a mayor who's <laughs> running the show, yeah. right? Totally. Oh, and by the way, the one we just kicked out, she's back. Right, right. <laughs> totally yeah. dysfunctional, right? And again, it's the people that are one socket, right, are going to be impacted. The children, we got to ensure that we have a city that works. We want to have transparency and accountability, and clearly we don't have that right I now. I never Shame. thought I would see a story where Lisa Baldelli Hunt would be the victim. And it, just, <laughs> it just reminds me of the old adage, the queen is dead, long live the queen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's basically like a two-month unpaid vacation. <laughs> yeah. She'll be back in December, right, and well, sworn in. My question is, if they don't learn from this conversation that we're having here, is it possible this is going to be repeated in a couple of months after she's reinstated? Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it's possible. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Uh, let's go to, uh, we have a couple other things, but let's go to outrages and or kudos. Lisa, do you have an outrage or a kudo this week? I would say I was, kudos, I think I was really excited to see what's happening around affordable housing. Um, lots of money, I know in the FY23 budget, there's a $250 million allocated for affordable housing. I think, I hope some of those monies are actually used to address some of the root causes around homelessness, right? We got to look at the barriers and some of the challenges, mental health illness, there could be substance abuse. So there's lots of factors that need to be considered. And I do hope that these monies are going to be spent well. We have accountability and transparency in that we're not leveraging those money the same way that we've done historically. We got to think about how do we create really affordable housing and affordable for the people that really need it the most. We have so much money sloshing around now, and you still see there's uh, people out saying we still have people on the street. Now, Absolutely. I know some of their own volition, but you wonder with this money, why can't we solve the homeless I mean, to build facilities or get people off. I mean, it's, I know it's not an easy answer, it's, but... It's, it's not just building house, right? It's 
you the, the services, support, services, right? the support wraparound mm. services need to be in place. Mm. I think you could build as much as you want. And keep in mind, Rhode Island, we don't have enough space, especially in the urban core. <coughs> but we got to think about how do we build responsible for the need that exists today, but also ensuring that we're not leaving anyone behind. Because if you have other factors that need to be addressed, right, wraparound services mental to deal health. with mental health. Mm. I mean, I think too often we look at stuff in silos and we're given money to the same group that have been given money year over year and we are expecting different results. And I think we need to think more creatively and bring more people into the tent to think of different ideas around how do we fix these issues. Because you know, if I'm gonna give you money year over year and I'm seeing the same problems, people are still on the street, well, why are you getting money if you're not correcting the issue? Hey, sounds like the school system, Lou, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, what do you have? Uh, Lou is probably going to want to come over and give me a big hug and a kiss <laughs> with this. Uh, I, uh, I, not this part. Uh, I've, uh, I like one aspect or some aspects of Joe Biden and the fact that I, I think he tries to be a little bit more open-minded about dealing with people and not being so, so ice cold and cut and dry. However... I thought it was the biggest mistake, one of the biggest mistakes of his presidency, to go over to Saudi Arabia and do a fist bump with, uh, with their, their leader over there, SBS or whatever his name is, um, and in hopes of getting Saudi Arabia, the second largest oil producer in the world probably, to <clears throat> increase their output as we try to get through you know, the energy issues that we're having now. How'd that work out? That was my, my point. How did that work out? He gave away the, the office of the presidency to a thug, to, a, to a, a, a regime that doesn't care one bit about anybody else, and I hope I live long enough to see the day where, where the oil spigot <coughs> over the air starts to go dry because we don't need them anymore. But we have supported those thugs, and that, there's, there are probably better words for them, but I can't use it on PBS. I, I just think that Joe Biden made a really big mistake with that. He's entitled to make his, his mistakes. I, I think he, he went there in good faith, but it was stupid. And I'm sorry that he did it. And this week, OPEC is not going to do anything but shut down some of their oil out, output. And he lost an awful lot of it was uh, a prestige. Yeah. What would he have? Well, I, now I didn't know these things, but he grew up in a Puerto Rican community in Delaware. <laughs> and I also know that he was looking for a dead congresswoman at a recent uh, fundraiser in the Democratic Party. Uh, so he's always exposing himself and telling us more about him than I think we need to know as a country. Uh, the reality is, is his first day in office, he closed down our Keystone Pipeline. Mm -hmm. Then he opened up the Nord Stream 2 Pipeline for Russia. And then why, I don't know, he starts begging all of our enemies for their disgustingly, oil, the, 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 the poorest grade oil, whether it was going to uh, Russia originally and then now it's Saudi Arabia. And by the way, Saudi Arabia just didn't say, uh, no, thank you. They flipped him the bird. Yeah. I mean, when you say we want you to increase by a million and they say, no, we're going to cut back by two million barrels mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what happens when you call them a pariah nation mm -hmm. and you threaten not to give them any more armed weapons during the course of your presidency. But here he is. Back in 2015, President Obama signed an executive order to declare that Venezuela was an extraordinary threat to the United States national security. 
And now Biden is contemplating going to Maduro, who was a killer, a brutal dictator, and asking him for oil because nobody else is giving it to us. Mm -hmm. My point is, he can't get out of his own way, and it's really... I mean, you go back to Afghanistan, but everything he's done... you got to wonder who's advising him, though, right? Well, yes. I mean, ultimately, the buck stops with him, but he yeah. has people around him, right? His foreign policy has been nothing but a disaster for this nation. Right. I mean, Taiwan, mm -hmm. Ukraine, mm -hmm. just add it all together. All right, that could be a whole other show. Folks, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we are out of time. Dave, it's good to see you. Lisa, welcome back. Thank we you. hope you come back. It's Thanks nice to so see you after a little hiatus. And Lou, always good to see you. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon... Check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and we post all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. We are heading into the home stretch to Election Day. We hope you'll be with us as we'll have the very latest of the uh, breakdown of poll numbers as they come in and the analysis. Come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.